Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy this past week uh, I was listening to a podcast. I want to I begin by just sharing a little bit about this podcast. Uh, it's, um, some of you maybe have listened to the podcast before. It's uh, a man named Kerry Newhoff, and he has a leadership podcast that you can download online. Uh, and this last week, I was listening to one where he was interviewing uh, John Eldridge. Some of you maybe know who John Eldridge is. He's a, uh, a, an author, a teacher, a speaker. Um, it was fabulous. I want to say, first of all, you need to listen to it. Church family, you need to listen to this podcast. What struck me so deeply was they were talking about post-COVID trauma. And you might be going, what is that? Post-COVID trauma. And talking about how basically the world as we knew it before the pandemic hit was already at a bit of a frenetic pace. We were go, go, go in many ways. Life was a little bit crazy before the pandemic even hit. And then if you remember, about two and a half years ago, this thing called the COVID pandemic came along and the world shut down. Overnight, things basically shut down, right? And, and restrictions got put in place. And here we are, we are now about two, two years, two and a half years almost now since all that started. And does it, it, it seems like life is finally getting back to normal, right? Does it not seem that way? Restaurants are finally open again. You can kind of, you can travel you can, you, can, you can go experience different things. It's kind of like life is getting back to normal. I don't know if some of you maybe last weekend for Canada Day were able to make it out to any different celebrations. I was in Nanaimo. I went to Newcastle Island. Our family has a little get-together there often on, on Canada Day. And I was shocked as I went through the park. Uh, you you, you um, take a little boat from, what's the park name there? What's that? Well, no, I, yeah, okay, that's, okay, sure, whatever. Yeah, I, don't, I mean the park, though, in, in Nanaimo. <laughs> What is it? Matthew is it? Sutton. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, the, yeah, the Sutton Mateo thingy or whatever kind of thing. Yeah, that park. I walked through the park to get to the ferry to sail over to Newcastle, and it's packed. It was packed, totally jam-packed with people. I'm like, this is strange. No one's wearing masks. It's all, you know what I mean? And it's kind of like life is back to normal. That's kind of what you start thinking, right? It's not. Life is actually not back to normal. We think it might be, but it's not really back to normal. And they were talking about us on the podcast that in many ways we have experienced trauma. Trauma. Actual trauma that the world has gone through because of this pandemic with the restrictions that were placed upon us where you couldn't see people. Where it's traumatic, the experience that we just went through. And they were actually talking about, John Eldridge was talking about some classic indicators of trauma. When someone's been through trauma, these are kind of indicators that that kind of show you've been through trauma. And really, he starts talking about these things and it really showed in many ways that the world is not doing very well. We are not doing very well. One of those indicators was just kind of a lack of patience or a lack of grace. 
for other people. Maybe you've experienced this yourself as you've been out in the grocery store or something like that, and people are just a little bit more on edge than normal. Maybe you're a little bit more on edge than normal, right? And he was mentioning how, like with airline travel, that before the pandemic, there would be about 120 incidents a year where there'd have to be like arrests made, maybe a flight would have to be rerouted or turned back because of a passenger that was out of control. In 2021, and you got to remember, 2021, there wasn't a ton of airline travel going on. There was 500 airline travel incidents in that one year. 2022, we're, we're a little over halfway through the year, there's already been 350. You've maybe seen them on YouTube or on the news, right, where passengers are just losing it. It's like, what's going on? There's this lack of, of patience and grace. People are angrier than before. They also talked about an indicator of, of tiredness, that people are depleted, that, that they actually found that high-functioning people that normally can function at extremely high levels are actually right now functioning at more like about a 40% capacity. Like I said, we're depleted, we're exhausted, we have a lack of energy or desire kind of for anything extra. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. You're just kind of tired. A lack of creativity was another indicator of trauma. Just, just the ability to be creative has just kind of been sapped and drained out of our lives. They even talked about short-term memory loss as an indicator that you have been through trauma, such as like, you pick up your cell phone maybe to text somebody and you're like, who was I going to text? Or you open your web browser to search something, you're like, what was I going to search? Do you know what I'm talking about? Just this kind of like, I just, this, this very common, just forgetting simple things. Some people tell me it's old age. I like to now blame it on COVID trauma. Right? You just forget stuff. And this whole cancel culture kind of thing, this is not an indicator of trauma, the cancer culture that's going on right now, they're canceling everything. But what is an indicator of trauma is that the tiredness is causing us to be relieved when things are canceled. For instance, maybe you have a big get-together with family or friends and all of a sudden somebody that develops a bit of a <coughs> cough, we've got to cancel. And what happens? You're kind of like... Be honest. How many of you are like, I'm kind of relieved that got canceled? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? We, we, like, in fact, sometimes we're even relieved when we don't get invited. Everyone else got invited and we didn't. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Right? Because going isn't the joy anymore. Not going is the joy. Because we've got depleted reserves. And these are some of the indicators of trauma, that we're coming out of trauma, that we're really at this kind of 40% capacity. Yet life is wanting 100% of us. Our kids need 100%. Our jobs are asking for 100%. The church is asking for 100% of you. But we're at 40%. Do you ever feel that way? I don't know about you, but when Andrew and I listened to this podcast, we both were like, ah, oh, this is putting language to what we've been feeling for the last little while. And there's the pain of, of honestly, coming out of COVID, this traumatic experience that we've had. And I think of some of the heartache that, that, that there was with COVID. I think of how uh, Andrew and I have not been able to see our daughter, Rebecca, for two and a half years. We're going to see her today. We are driving down. We are, her flight was delayed from Vancouver to Victoria, and we were actually flying or driving. I'm going to be flying. Believe me, I'll be going fast. But, but we're driving down to Victoria to the airport. Uh, her flight comes in at 12.15. So I'm going to disappear as soon as I'm done this sermon. And uh, we're going to go see our daughter that we haven't seen in two and a half years. But disappointments, that's what the last two and a half years has been. Disappointments and crushed hopes. Some of you on top of the COVID experience have had to face pain of, of the loss of loved ones. Or not being able to see a loved one for however, like there's been just disappointment after disappointment. And I'd ask you this question. How many of you could use rest? You could use some rest right now. I want to ask you this now. 
When you surrendered your life to Christ, what was it that you experienced? Those of us in this room that have given our life to Christ, when you first surrendered your life to Christ, did you experience rest? Did you experience a peace? Yeah, absolutely we did. I love how commentator Kent Hughes describes kind of the salvation, initial salvation experience. He describes it like this, kind of like pulling into a snug harbor from a stormy sea. Isn't that a great way to describe it? It's kind of just the storms of life are raging. And when you came to Christ, you you kind of pulled into the safe, snug harbor. Rest. But if we're honest, we'll admit that that initial experience of rest hasn't really been our life experience, has it? If we're honest. The same commentator, Kent Hughes, goes on to say this. We have come to know there is a difference between the primary experience of rest and living a life of rest on life's uneven seas. Instead of rest, there is often turmoil. That's the reality. You know, maybe, maybe it's kind of like you're experiencing right now with some of the post-COVID trauma that you're walking through. But the reality is this, is, is this is nothing new. This is nothing new. We're studying the book as a, as a church. We're studying the book of Hebrews right now. And, and the Hebrew Christians, those first century Jewish Christians, were experiencing a very similar kind of thing. They had left their ancient traditions of of Judaism and they'd come to this new faith in Christ. But because of that, many of them were now suffering for their faith. And this initial kind of experience of rest, it kind of seemed a little bit more like a, kind of like a one-time trial that had now expired, right? That's kind of what they were feeling. But you know this. The word tells us this. God doesn't just offer us a trial period of rest, does he? It's not just a trial rest. It's to be a life of rest. In fact, in our passage this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, the word rest is used 10 times in 11 verses. 10 times in 11 verses. Let me say this. Though you may right now not be experiencing rest, God wants you to have rest. He wants you to have rest. He wants you to experience his rest. Why don't you join with me? um, Open your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4. You need a Bible, by the way, to follow along this morning. It will not be on the screen, so grab a Bible. If you're looking for the book of Hebrews, I believe it's uh, going to be page 2000, or sorry, 1004 in the Bible. Which, by the way, if you are using the Bible in the pew, it's the same one as mine, so it will be page 1004. Uh, and if you're looking for Hebrews, just go to the back of your Bible, find Revelation, go backwards, Jude, and First and Second, Third John, and Peter, and you'll, you'll get to James and then Hebrews. But I want to read to us um, just the first 11 verses this morning, then I want to pray this morning, as we look at the rest of God, the rest of God, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward in the, way, the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, 
there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, I believe we're all in the same boat, that life has been especially tiring this last two and a half years. But life in general is tiring. It can be full of turmoil and stormy seas and difficulties, but Lord, we know that you invite us to a place of rest, of peace, of wholeness in you. And I ask, Father, that this morning we would begin that step towards rest, a life of rest. As your word just envelops this for us, Lord, may you teach us this morning. Open our eyes. Help us, Father. I I pray specifically for those this morning that are really weary and down. God, today I pray this would be the day that they come and experience your rest, are able to let go and experience your rest. We love you and we thank you. Teach us now, we ask. Amen. Well, the first thing that uh, we're going to see in our passage is a warning to rest. That's the first thing we see this morning, a warning to rest. Verse 1 of chapter 4 begins, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should, have, should seem to have failed to reach it. You know, last week, Ross, if you were with us, he shared um, about Israel's failure to enter the promised land. The land of rest is what it was known as, right? You remember last week, we, we heard about those two, two men, only two men over the age of 20 out of the 600,000 men in Israel actually made it into the land of Canaan, the land of rest. And so the author of Hebrews is continuing this whole thought about rest that was kind of from last week and, and entering this land of rest. And he starts off cha- this chapter, chapter four, with two key points that he's continuing. Number one, he says this, the offer still stands. That's the first thing he's getting at. Listen, you've got to understand this. The offer to rest still stands. It's still available, especially for us as Christians. And the second thing he brings out is this, you should fear or be careful, as the New Living Translation puts it, that you don't miss out on this rest. Isn't that interesting? You know, the most repeated command in Scripture is, do not fear. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Yet, what are we told to do here? Fear. Fear. Be afraid, in a sense. Be careful, he's saying, that you don't miss the rest of God that he has for you. It's a warning that he's giving us. And the first warning is missing out on rest because we don't believe or we don't have faith. Verse two says this, for good news came to us just as to them. Who is them? Someone help me out here. Who's them? The, the, the Israelites, right? The context here is still continuing the thought from the previous chapter. These 600,000 men that were in the wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness. Good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So we got to figure out now, who were those that listened by faith? There were 600,000. The message came to them. It didn't benefit them. They didn't unite it by faith with those who listened. Who did listen? There wasn't many. Someone's, I think I heard it. Joshua, and there was one other. Caleb, Caleb, right? There was two of them. There was two that actually did listen to the word of God and his instruction by faith. They benefited because they joined what God promised them with faith. You know the story, right? There's 12 spies. After leaving Egypt, they, send, they, they get to the, the edge of the promised land and they send in 12 spies. You guys know the song, right? 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 
to work good. What did they see when they spied on Cain and Tim? Oh, you got, we need to maybe do, you know what, Connor? Um, it, too tired, come on. No way, no. It's a kid's song. I'm going to make you jump up and we're going to start singing songs all morning. Connor, the next number of Sundays, we need to teach kids songs. For the, you know, we need to rebrief our church family on the kids, the classic kids songs. Right? Twelve men. They, they send them in. Numbers 13 and 14 speaks of this whole account. If you want to look at you can check it out later, but we'll look at a few verses this morning. Numbers 13 and 14 speaks of this. They send out, they leave Egypt, they get to the edge of the promised land, they send in 12 spies. These 12 spies, they go into the promised land, and they discover what? It is amazing. Amazing. In fact, they come back, and what do they bring with them? They bring some grapes. Now, this isn't a regular kind of grape. This isn't, like a, this isn't a Mike Norichlow kind of grape we're talking about here. This is, this is a God grape. I mean, this is promised on grapes. These, this grape cluster is so big, it takes two men with a pole between them to carry one cluster of grapes. Mike, have you ever harvested any grape clusters that big? I don't think so. I've helped him harvest sometimes, and uh, you, you get a cluster. About, that's a pretty good, that's a big cluster, hey? Yeah, you fill up the buckets and one cluster. How big were those grapes? A cluster took two men to carry with poles. And they talk about, it's, yes, it, they, they come back and they're like, it is amazing. It's amazing, they say. Totally incredible. They show the fruit. They tell the people it's amazing. But then 10 of the 12 spies say this in Numbers 13, 28 and 31. Okay, so the context, remember this. The land's amazing. That's what they just said. The verses previous established that. Verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Who were the descendants of Anak? Giants. Giants. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. This is crazy. The account, you know what happens? By chapter 14, we're talking a few minutes later. In just a few minutes, the nation of Israel begins to cry and weep, it says. Chapter 14, verse 1. And by the time we get to verse 4, this is what they say. They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's how bad it was. Really. We would rather go to slavery than live in the land of promise and rest with grapes that are probably the size of basketballs. What? That's crazy. Crazy talk. This is proof. This is, here's the thing. This is proof of God's promises. It's the word of God being fulfilled in their very midst. But they're not mixing it with faith. That's what verse told us. Verse 2 told us. They weren't uniting what they had heard, the message they heard, with faith. Not only did they hear a message, they actually saw it. Like, it's even beyond just hearing the message. They actually saw it physically. They had actual examples of the promises of God right in front of them. Look, here it is. Look at the grapes. The fruit of the land. However, they can't take the promises and mix it now with faith. But look at what two of the 12 spies, Caleb and Joshua, these guys, you got to remember, they saw the same things. But what do they say? Numbers 14 begins in verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. They'd all agree on that. 
If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So 10 of them, 10 of the 12 spies, they saw giants because they lacked faith. Two of the 12 spies, they didn't see giants. What did they see? Bread. We'll eat them for lunch. God's on our side. It doesn't matter that I'm as big as I am and they're bigger than Mark Nagdegal. Right? It doesn't matter. Bread, just bread. That's all they're going to be. But then look at what happens by the time verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> What's with these people? But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. God has to actually step in basically to save these two men of faith. He's like, hang on here. God shows up. He's like, stop it. 600,000 men of Israel. You, you, here's the thing. They were believers, you would say. They're just like you and I. They were believers, were they not? They absolutely believed in God. 100%. They were believers, but they didn't trust God and they didn't enter his rest. Now, there's two men of Israel that did trust God and they did find an element of rest. They took God's word and they mixed it with faith. And that's what we got to do with God's word. We can't just take it. We got to also believe God's word. We got to believe God's word. We got to mix it with faith. And that's what the author of Hebrews is going to go on to point out. He's going to cross reference a number of verses now. Verse three For we who have, what's the next word? What, what does it say? Someone's got to read, read your Bibles with me. Verse three, for we who have believed, key thing there, we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, and he quotes again Psalm 95 that we looked at last week, as I swore my wrath, they, the, 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 the unbelieving Israelites, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, or, or as the New Living Tra Translation puts this, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. In other words, God's saying here, my rest has always been available. From the very start, I made my rest available. But without faith, this is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. If you don't believe it, if you don't, if you don't join it with faith, it can't be had. He goes on to develop this thought in verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And he now quotes Genesis 2.2. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So from the very start, talking about creation, from the very start, God created us to live in rest. That's how he designed and created us. But the reality is that without faith, Without faith, without belief, he tells us this now in verse 5. But again in this passage, he said, quoting again Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. Without faith, you will not enter the rest of God. Rest is available, but not everybody has it. And so we're warned here that we can miss out on God's rest by not believing, by not having faith. You see, the, the 10 spies, right, and the 600,000 men of Israel believed in God, but they didn't believe God. And it's a very subtle difference. You can believe in God, but, but do you believe God? I mean, think about it this way. Even the demons believe in God. That's what James tells us. The difference is, and James goes on to point this out, and they shudder. Many of us believe in God and can, well, whatever. No, the demons even shudder, the very knowledge of a God. But here's the thing. A faith that enters rest, it's more, it's more than just some intellectual agreement or belief in God. As, as the New Testament scholar Leon Morris put it, so simply, a faith that enters the rest of God 
is a faith that has the attitude of trusting God wholeheartedly. In other words, if you want to experience rest in God, you need to learn to trust God wholeheartedly, which is super easy. And you're laughing. It's easy. I mean, how can you not trust God wholeheartedly? He's God. But we all know it's not so easy. Why do we all know it's not so easy? Because we don't do it all that often, do we? I know this because it seems like every year or year and a half, I have to relearn this again. I have to relearn again how to trust God wholeheartedly. How do I know I have to relearn it every year, year and a half? Because I've been faithfully, every morning, I take my Bible, I open it, I read it, and I journal it. And I allow the Lord to teach me and lead me. And if I go over my journal, I'm like, why am I once again back at this bush of trust? Year after year after year, I'm having to relearn how to trust God. That's what, that's what I'm experiencing. You can read my journal. It's like continually, trust me, trust me, trust me. He's like, Peter, you're anxious. You're not trusting me. Peter, you're not sleeping. You're not trusting me. Peter, you're thinking the worst case scenarios. You're not trusting me. And over and over, I, you know what, I hate to say it, but I feel just like an Israelite way too often. I used to think those dumb Israelites, and now I go, you dumb Peter. I'm no different in so many ways. I don't have the rest that should be there quite often. Because a faith that enters God's rest is not just agreeing with a checklist of Christian theology. That's not what we're talking about here. You see, it's, it's, it's not just done with the mind, it's done with the life. And what happens is when we trust God with our life, we, we, we begin to have this simple principle that takes place. The more trust, the more rest. And you could, vice versa, say this. If you, don't, if you don't have much trust, or sorry, if you don't have much rest, it's probably because you're not trusting very much. Right? So there's a warning. To believe wholeheartedly, to have faith to enter God's rest. Faith is key. But there's also a warning of urgency. It doesn't stop just with just believe and, and believe, but there's an urgency now that it is to be done today. Look at verse 6. Since therefore... It remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. He didn't just go, oh, it's done. You lose, ha ha. No, he says, you know what? They missed out, but he has appointed another day. And this is key. He's gonna talk about a specific day. What's that day? Is it the Sabbath? Is it, is it, is it Sunday, the first day of the week? The day that Christ rose from the dead? Is that the day? What's the day? Exactly. Today. He says, today is the day. He goes on, verse 7, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, the reality that the author of Hebrews is pointing out is this, is that, that even for Joshua and Caleb, Here's the thing. The first century Christians would be like, okay, this rest, sure. The, the, the 600,000 Israelite men, they all had to die over the age of 20. They all had to die before they could get into Israel or into the promised land, I should say. But they'd then be saying, but, but wait a minute, Joshua and Caleb made it in. And the author of Hebrews is pointing this fact out. They didn't fully experience the rest of God either. They didn't. They, they made it in, but you know what? They fully didn't enter into the rest. Number one, because it wasn't really the full picture. It wasn't the full meal deal rest that God was intending. And secondly, because they actually lacked faith still too. 
Do you know, you, you read the book of Joshua and you'll see they enter that land, but you know what? They don't actually fully take the entire land. They don't also boot out all the people that they're supposed to. They leave pockets of people here and there. They don't take every square inch of the land they were supposed to take. They compromise. They let the enemy stay. We see that, in fact, by the time of the book of Judges, which is the next book right after Joshua, you're going to see this pattern that starts to kick in with the nation of Israel, a cycle. So chapter, I don't know what last chapter Joshua is. I think maybe 24, 25, something like that. They get to the end of the book, and Joshua's like, he, he basically asks them again, listen, I'm going to die. Are you going to serve God? Choose this day whom you will serve. You've probably got this above your fridge or your stove somewhere right at home, right? right? Who are you going to serve? Oh, we're going to serve God. And then you get to the book of Judges, and what happens? You know what happens. They're serving God, and then they start to sin, right? And then what happens with their sin? They enter back into slavery, right? The nations around them begin to, 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 to get on them again, and they start to fall. And in their slavery, they, they then become sorry for their sin, and they cry out to God, I'm sorry. God saves them, raises up a judge to deliver them, and they serve God, and then the cycle starts again. They sin, right? It's just this whole over and over again. Slavery, they're sorry about their sin, right? They, 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 they're saved, back and forth. It keeps going. And so what the author of Hebrews is pointing out this, he actually mentions specifically about David. So long after, he says, see, they didn't make it fully into the rest in the land of Canaan. 400 years later, in fact, is when David, the Holy Spirit speaks through David in Psalm 95. And what does the Holy Spirit say through David? He says, the promise of rest still stands. If you hear his voice, if you hear his offer for rest, he says, today is the day. Take him up on that today. He continues in verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. You see, here's the reality. The, the, there was a number of pictures of rest in the Old Testament that God gave. There was the Sabbath, the Old Covenant Sabbath, right? There was also the land of Canaan, which was to be the promised place of rest. But these were never the full meal deal rest. It was kind of, they were samples. It's kind of like when you go to Costco. How many of you are thankful that they have samples again at Costco? Right? Right? We're coming out of COVID, right? We're allowed to eat the samples again. Now, the Costco samples, they're not meant to be a meal, are they? How many of you try to treat them as a meal? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, those of us that go to Costco, it's like, I'm going to Costco. I'm not going to eat lunch today. I'm going to Costco. Oh, you're going to buy a hot dog? No, that's a buck fifty. I'm not doing that. They got samples for free, right? You try to, you know, they, just to let you know, the samples are not meant to be your meal, okay? The sample is meant to be just a sample, just a taste of what the whole meal would be like. That's the intention, right? And that's the same way. It's much of what the Old Covenant Sabbath and, and the, the, the Promised Land, they were to be samples, to be tastes. What's the full meal, though? You know, not McDonald's. Oh, my goodness. McDonald's. Anything but McDonald's. You can never compare McDonald's and Jesus. And the answer here is always Jesus. The full meal deal is Jesus. You just got the, the meal deal stuck in your head or something. You, you need to stop eating McDonald's. Just a taste, just a sample. The full meal deal is Jesus. Jesus is the full meal deal. And here's, this is, this is the key. This is, this is what the author of Hebrews is trying to get at. The full meal deal is Jesus. Now, what is the day for you to get the full meal deal? Today. 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 Don't go to McDonald's today. 
You see, here's the reality. The devil, God says today is the day. Do you know what day the devil speaks of? A couple things. Tomorrow and another day too. Yesterday. Yesterday and tomorrow. That's what the devil wants you to do. The devil wants you to live in yesterday and tomorrow. See, yesterday, yesterday is all about the past, things that you can't change, right? That's yesterday. You wish you could, but you couldn't. He wants you to grieve. He wants you to feel guilty about your past, how you failed. He wants you to live in yesterday, in the regrets of yesterday. He wants you to stumble and stay in yesterday, never get up again. And if yesterday doesn't work, because some of us go, no way, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing yesterday. That's done. That's, that's finished. That's past. That's behind me. If he can't get you to live in yesterday, you know what he'll get you to live is in tomorrow. He'll get you to live in tomorrow. And there's a couple aspects of the tomorrow that he wants you to live in. One of those being about the worry and the anxiety about tomorrow. What is tomorrow going to bring? But I think he also wants you to live in tomorrow for this reason, so that you, that you don't choose Jesus today. Because tomorrow, you'll, you'll, you'll say, you know what, Jesus, today's not really a convenient time. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you and working in your life and Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, you need to make some choices for me today. And the devil in your ear says, you can do it tomorrow. I'm young, I've got my whole life ahead of me. Tomorrow, tomorrow. It's not convenient right now. But God says, today. Today is the day. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Listen, yesterday is done. You can't change it. Just give yesterday to Jesus today. And tomorrow, well, you know what the reality is, is that we're not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? That's why the devil wants you to live in tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, so come to Jesus today. And if you open your door to Jesus, he'll take care of yesterday's sorrows and he'll take care of tomorrow's worries as well. And he continues in verse nine. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's us today, folks. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, God created this creation, this world in six days. And then what did he do? He rested. He did his work and he sat down. He rested. He was done. It was complete. And in the same way, the picture we get of Jesus and his completed work, what did Jesus do after he rested? Or sorry, after he finished his work, what did he do? He specifically did something. He sat down, didn't he? Where? the right hand of the Father. He was done the work. And this is why, this is why the Holy Spirit spoke through David saying, those things weren't the full meal deal. That wasn't it. They were just, just samples. The full meal deal would come later. He spoke of a later day. What was that later day? It was when Jesus would come and complete the work for us on the cross. That's what he was speaking of. He completed his work on the cross. And what were the final words that Jesus spoke? It's finished. To tell us die, paid in full, done, complete. Which is awesome. Because he didn't say it has begun. Because he could have. He could have said it's begun. And then he could have said, you know, you, you give your life to Christ and he hands you a stopwatch. Tick, 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 tick. And that stopwatch is your life. And he says, It's begun. Your salvation has begun. And by the time that stopwatch finishes, that's the end of your life. If you've still got that salvation, then we'll talk heaven. That's not what he did. He didn't say it's begun. He said it is finished. There's no more that can be done. Paid in full. That's how you can have rest. That's the only way you can have rest is in the completed work of Jesus Christ. It's the only way he proved and provided that finished work in Christ. That's why David spoke of a later day. It was, that day was when Jesus would come 
and finish the work for us. Before we move on, before we finish off this morning, I just want to be clear about this rest as well, though, that God speaks of. I want you to understand this. Rest doesn't mean an easy life. Sometimes we think that. It means it's going to be easy. You know what? Honestly, the rest of God sometimes means a harder life. It doesn't always mean easy. It sometimes means, I mean, think of the example of Christ. It wasn't an easy life, yet somehow, did he have rest? You better believe he did. He sleeps in a boat in the middle of a storm. That's called the rest of God. It didn't mean that his life was going to be simple or easy. The, the Apostle Paul, same thing. Was his life easy? No, but he had this crazy sense of rest and peace to his life. He could walk through anything. You can hear it in statements that he would make, such as, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Kill me, ha, I gain, I win. And if you let me live, well, it's all about Jesus. I win either way. Right? This, this rest that he had to his life, this peace. Why? Because he fully trusted God. So first there's a warning to rest, and finally we're going to see here that there's a work to rest. There's a warning to rest, and then there's a work to rest. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Well, this is kind of odd. I mean, the word strive here is literally labor or work. He's saying work. You need to work so that you can rest. Isn't that a bit of an oxymoron almost? Work to rest. But the Greek here really speaks more about, the word speaks more about doing your best, doing everything you can, taking care of. It even speaks of hurrying on the doing of something. And you see, for these first century Jewish Christians, they were being tempted to go back to the old sacrificial system, the old way that they had known of Judaism. And the, offer, the author is exhorting them. He's telling them, listen, don't do it. Don't do it. You've got to give diligence. You've got to take care. You've got to exert yourself, in fact, even, to enter the rest that is found in Christ. Don't go backwards. He's really telling them to think seriously about this because for them, he's kind of saying, listen, why would you join a group of people that never had spiritual rest in the first place? They missed it. They held to the law and they missed the rest. He's saying, don't join them. In fact, they were disobeying God because they didn't believe Jesus as the Messiah. No re- they, they were missing out on the full meal deal of rest. So why leave rest in Christ to go to no rest at all? And for us, for us, the author of Hebrews is saying this, don't start to take your salvation into your own, own hands as well. Right? Not with sacrifices. We don't have a sacrificial system, but we sure have a work system, don't we? Where it's like my standing before God is based upon my performance. Right? We, I, I don't know if you struggle as much as I do, but I got, a, I got a good little Pharisee that lives inside of me that wants to perform so badly for God because I have such a hard time receiving his free gift of grace and salvation. And so inside me, I want it, but I can't. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't start basing your standing before God in what you do instead of what Jesus has done. And so today, you know what? We're admonished to do our utmost, in fact, to work, to strive, in a sense, to grab hold of the rest that is found in Christ. Take it seriously, not casually, not flippant. You've got to dedicate your life to this. It actually, and you know this if you live for Jesus any amount of time, it takes effort to keep your faith and your eyes in Christ, to keep focused on him. It takes an effort and takes intentionality. It takes, as the author here says, striving. We know that. To keep looking in the right direction, to avoid the distractions of the enemy and the world and of our flesh. It's not easy. And so we have to strive. We have to work to rest. Because it is worth it, he says this. It's worth it. So strive to do that. I like what Corey Ten Boom once said. She said, look within and be depressed. Look without and be distressed. 
but look to Jesus and be at rest. Because it's a completed work. It's a finished work in Christ. He is the only true source of rest and peace. You know, as we close this morning, 10 times in these 11 verses, God has spoken to us about rest. He's challenging you to take hold of the rest that he has for you because he wants you to experience his rest. He wants you so badly to experience it. You know, if we learn anything from this text, it's that the rest is there if we want it. It's right there. And so I just ask you this morning, are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you worn out? Do you have only 40% capacity that you're operating at right now? Are you experiencing post-COVID trauma? Today is the day to experience rest. Today is the day to come to Jesus. Whether it's your first time or your thousandth time, come to Jesus. And this morning, we're going to end our service with communion. This is the ultimate picture of, of Christ's offer of rest to us. You see, the cross is where Christ completed that finished work that paid it all in full. But his resurrection proves that it was enough, it was done, it was complete. You know, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace or rest with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And this morning, I want to invite you, I want to invite you to meet with Jesus today, right here, right now. Meet with Jesus. Leave your yesterdays at the cross and your tomorrows in his hands. Give him today. And I just want to encourage us, I want to invite us to come to Jesus this morning, to bring whatever it is. If it's sin, if it's fears, if it's family situations, if it's financial situations, if it's disappointments, you know, this is, this is the invitation from Christ to you this morning. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ and you don't know rest in your life, you don't know the peace of God, I want to invite you right now, I want to give you this opportunity, just as the scripture told us, that today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, accept his offer of rest, of forgiveness, of mercy, of grace. And so just with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if you're in this place, if you're joining us online and you don't know Jesus, you haven't put your faith in him, right now, today is that day. Jesus, this morning, we come to you. Lord, whether we're tired, worn out, exhausted, whatever it is in our life that is causing us not to experience rest, we're bringing it to you. And we're coming to you today because we know that that offer, that promise of rest still stands here and now. And so, Lord, whether we're coming today for the first time or whether today is a 1,000th time, we want to experience your rest and all of it 
Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.